0: I came just yesterday. It's made all as I learned. The emptiness of life examined. there
1: welcome time. to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Moran, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Today we introduce, in our podcast number 157, Memento number 7, The Arbitrariness of King Xerxes Part 4. We return to our story in early spring 480 B.C., Xerxes had set out from Sardis in Lydia and had traversed his way without too much difficulty to the Hellespont separating Asia from Europe, and the world's largest army had assembled at Albedos for the crossing of the Dardanelles to Sestos, at which point the armed host of Xerxes would march north following the coastline into Thrace, westward through Macedonian lands, before turning south into Sicily, into northern and central Greece, before reaching his objective, southern Greece, where it was his intention to crush the southern cities of Greece, Sparta, and especially Athens. And as Xerxes and his incredible host and baggage train marched, one by one the cities before him surrendered, medizing, as it were, uh, to avoid annihilation that was sure to follow were the cities to refuse submission to the great king of kings. Still, as the army made its way forward through their local lands, they would be eaten out of house and hold in. In advance of the king and the host's arrival, the king's advance team would have informed each of the city leaders as to the exact preparations expected of them and the needs to be met by the hosting community such that the king's dinner requirements, they would be properly satisfied and accommodated. And there was, there was no debate to be had on satisfaction of the king's palate on any particular night. Table arrangements were such that the community need be prepared to serve food and drink sufficient for the king and his 15,000 generals and key advisory staff who would be joining him at the table each night for dinner. And post-dinner, local hosts would find that their possessions were wiped out. Silver and gold goblets, uh, candelabras, plates, anything of value gobbled up and stolen by the king's men as they ravaged the local population, you know, as would ravenous locusts' invasion sweep clean, devastate a territory as if it were a scene from the Bible's Old Testament and And you can imagine how even a single night spent hosting, trying to accommodate the Persians might leave local communities bereft, unfortunate enough to have had to have hosted and entertained the king for dinner a hundred and fifty years later, having read and heard plenty about the ill will that's created by an army that passes through local communities, one can understand then why Alexander the Great was always, always in a great hurry to get his men through towns and villages and any communities they approached on their way to somewhere else. Memories of Xerxes pillaging, you know, locusts had survived across these lands for more than a century. And in anticipation of his march and the coordination of his army with his naval armada, Xerxes, years before, had had sent his engineers north to Thrace and specifically to the Chalcidic coast to construct with the help of thousands and thousands of slave laborers a canal across the Mount Athos Peninsula so that his fleet, would avoid sailing the treacherous unforgiving seas in unpredictable weather off the rocky peninsular coast of the northern aegean on their way to southern greece you know even in even in the days of herodotus it was known that Safe sailing time in the northern Aegean was restricted to about 50 days, you know, seven weeks or so prior to August 15th. And in the open seas, before or beyond this you know, kind of window of time, it was a dicey proposition to be out of the open seas. One sailed on the open seas only at one's own peril. And, and locals had known this from time immemorial, and they did not sail except during this window of relative safety and and even then ferocious winds from the northeast uh, called the meltemi you know emerged from out of clear blue skies without warning and produced seas that swallowed whole ships and pilots of the age or you know as with the unpredictable howling winds that came suddenly from the south the, the sirocco um with torrential rains with them they drove unlucky vessels to their ruin um, and crew to their demise on the craggy, sh- uh, rocky shorelines. So the entire Aegean region was subject to these deadly storms. And Xerxes knew this firsthand. In 492 BC, Darius' son-in-law, Mardonius, had nearly the entirety of his fleet on its way to cross the Greeks, sunk or destroyed on the rocks off Mount Athos, when one of those ferocious Meltimi windstorms came crashing down on his unsuspecting fleet. And Xerxes was, was not about to run this risk again. That was for sure. He had another idea. And this was going to be a massive effort. But, you know, with an unlimited budget and sufficient slave labor, almost Anything one can dream of can be built and and that remind and that reminds me, and I know i 'm going off script with this, but of of course, I think it 's relevant, and therefore, if I think it 's relevant, I will try to enlighten you uh, and so I choose to share this story with you um, in the first week of September in two thousand one, a week or so. Uh, by chance, before 9/11, I was in Egypt, and I had arranged for a local guide to show me around the Great Pyramid of Giza, the Sphinx, and you know, amongst other ancient treasures, in and around that can be found in and around Cairo. And weirdly, I think, as it turned out, my 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 guide turned out to be a not unintelligent woman, but she wasn't Egyptian; she was a Palestinian. That she informed me that she had seven brothers living in Michigan, five of whom were in prison at that particular moment was of mild concern because, well, my thoughts, my, my thoughts really were, what were these guys up to? I think I think it's rare, you know, in any one family to find five of their seven male children to be in prison in any of our fifty United States. But maybe that's just me. In any event, what was, what was most shocking about this Palestinian guide, besides her five brothers in prison, was that she and I got into an argument over just who had built the pyramids. I mean, this is hard to believe. I felt I was on pretty solid ground when I took the position that the pharaohs had these monstrous pyramids built by tens of thousands of slave laborers over time. You know, this was propaganda, she informed me. Not only propaganda, it was mostly American propaganda specifically. Oh, come on. The, the pyramid she claimed, had been built by volunteers. Volunteers who walked over to the pyramids to help out in the heavy lifting after they got off work. I kid you not. <laughs> after expressing some rather high levels of disbelief that volunteers, after clocking out, if you will, you know, in a hundred-plus degree temperatures, kind of moseyed on over to the construction sites that were the pyramids to help her dra- to help drag around multi-ton stones was just so absurd to me. But then, in the midst of my arguing with her, my Palestinian guide, I remembered three things. Number one, I was in Cairo. Number two, she was a Palestinian guide. And number three, she had five brothers in Michigan. What was I doing? Just shut up. Volunteers? Sure. No problem. Who knew? I just wanted to make this point about this part of the world, which is why I bring this up to you. So back to Xerxes. When when Xerxes ordered the construction of a 1.5, 5 mile long canal to be dug out, built across that isthmus just north of Mount Athos. He might not have used slave labor, as I suggested only moments ago. I suggest that maybe I was wrong. Have you listened to my Palestinian guide? Maybe Xerxes had sent advanced teams up north to Thrace, Macedonia, to see if they might scrounge up sufficient volunteers in and around Thrace and Macedonia whom would be willing to trot over to the construction site after work to dig a canal for a couple of years as volunteers okay that this would be a hard job well I speak of the advanced team's job not of the work of those volunteers In any event, historians, even Herodotus, thought the canal was just another vanity project of this megalomaniacal Xerxes, but he was that kind of guy. And at some point in time, after three years of planning, it was time Xerxes and his combined forces went to war. You know, 2,000 years before the Holy League commander, Admiral Don Juan of Austria, yelled to his naval forces fighting the Ottoman Turks in the Mediterranean off the coast of Greece um, during the naval battle of Lepanto, he yelled out, Men, the time for debating is over. The time for fighting is now. And so too Xerxes informed his men, It is now time we move. We move on those Greeks. Hundreds of thousands of men, supporting cast, cattle, camels, and horse, gathered now to cross the Dardanelles from Asia Minor into Europe. And Xerxes had ordered, uh, you know, built a complex pontoon bridge of boats. You know, more than 700 boats tied together, complete with um, uh, a flooring system made of wood, wood palisades and with over which dirt was placed on the floor, over which his force would transverse the Hellespont from Abydos to Cestus. And Xerxes, a man had prided, who had prided himself on his even temperament and unusual ability to control his emotions, had a problem. And when a huge storm struck just as Xerxes and the expeditionary force was prepared to cross that pontoon bridge of boats, It was torn apart and it was destroyed. And his self proclaimed ability to control his emotions would be tested severely. And as it turns out, Xerxes would fail that test of self control miserably. Xerxes, that man of even disposition, of moderation, lost control of himself, as, as, as we later experienced when, when witnessing a, like American college football and basketball coaches lose their respective minds like Bobby Knight and Woody Hayes. Xerxes, in a much more important enterprise, I will agree, he just went ballistic when this happened. He became unglued, freaked out. He went off the deep end, you might say. This is never a good thing, especially in a military leader or a head of state. Think Adolf Hitler going nuts, spitting saliva, and you get the picture. It does not build confidence in a leader's subordinates. In fact, it just does just does the opposite. It has the opposite effect. But Xerxes, hey, he was the king of kings. So we move forward with the story. The king issued his orders. He demanded his men take out their whips to subject the sea, the Hellespont, to three hundred. Fierce lashes with their whips. You know, again, a weird similarity. Adolf Hitler and Xerxes both appeared to have had a fondness for the whip. You know, once the sea had been whipped, Xerxes, this, this man of you know, moderate disposition and committed by his own self evaluation, committed to reason. He then expressed a desire the waters be branded with red hot irons. Now that nuttiness concluded. He thought it would then be a very good idea to make a sacrifice to the gods. Okay, he accomplished this order by tossing into the sea the Dardanelles a number of golden goblets. Now, I must say, it's unknown to me, maybe it's, it's unknown to all historians too, how many wine goblets were wasted by having them tossed into the water by a maddened king? But we should assume it was enough to help cool down the furious king. Well, at least a tad. But only a tad, as will become clear. You <laughs> know, it is, it is, I think, unclear to his soldiers, no, no matter what their rank That they thought, you know, this may not have all made a lot of sense to them. And it was unlikely to have increased their confidence as the campaign on which they were just then embarking had just commenced. With the great king raving, raging, freaking out, you know, throwing what we would now refer to these days uh, in modern times as an adult temper tantrum. This cannot have been inspiring the loon and this, it, it does not seem to be, well, it seems to me to be completely and truly arbitrary what he did next, in my opinion. So, Xerxes had issued the fateful orders that the two bridge-of-boats pontoon architects and engineers be brought before him. Uh-oh, this can't be good. They were presented to the king as ordered relying on the punishment on which he was most reliant on the spot in front of the assembled troops. And this is the most the most ominous aspect of the punishment. The order was given to lop off the heads of the architects and engineers, and it was carried out, this is scary, by the men whose function it was to carry out such orders. You see what I mean? doesn't this appear a bit unhinged to you? Doesn't it seem uh, a bit arbitrary? I think it is. And there's more to this arbitrariness than you might think, beyond just rolling heads. You know, only a few years ago, we witnessed ISIS, you know, those lunatics in Syria that Obama had called the junior varsity. Those guys. In the name of their God, they beheaded people and burnt people to death after first locking them in cages and then and then they filmed it for posterity and marketing purposes. And you know what? It appeared to have been a good strategy. Young Western males signed up in droves to go fight for ISIS, and young white Western women wanted to find and mate with these ISIS killers, and they headed off to Syria to find their man. It's it's kind of a weird form of online dating, I think, but then, you know, I'm an old white male. But in any event, ISIS may have learned something about public relations value, of making public one's atrocities. And he may have learned this, they may have learned this, from the king of kings himself, Xerxes. I'll explain in our next episode. Hey, thanks for listening, and hope you had a good day. Bye-bye. I am
0: in a far off place, half of a world away and there's so much to do and there's so much much to to see mother nature's had her way there are mountains and valleys and beautiful hills each vista, something new and though my imagination has been captured my thoughts they return to you so can Yeah mm-hmm.